This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our TGT podcast, our weekly show in which we break down the week's events and uh, hopefully give you guys some therapy as well. We've got some great lads to, to do that. First of all, I need to do an apology to the Arsenal Lounge. Uh, I was supposed to be on with them uh, about two hours ago, but me being the you know, sensible guy and decided to cut the end of my finger off, which was great. Uh, it's not as dramatic as I may point out, but there was literally blood everywhere. And uh, yeah, it wasn't the best thing when you're meant to be going onto a podcast on someone's channel in about 30 minutes. But uh, apologies to to Shaheen and Liv and Mo. I'll be back, I'm sure, uh, the next available opportunity. But yeah, so apologies if... Um, if you see this flapping about while I'm gesticulating about something, you now know what I've done. So uh, let me introduce you to my guest this evening. First of all, it's the man to bring the positivity and light to our lives. It's Drew. How you doing, mate? Are you well? Oh, I am good. How are you guys? Yes, very good. Very good. Also joined by Owen from the Gooners pod. How you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good. Do you want to know what, mate? Like, I've went to some. You're looking up at Ari then. It looked like you were looking up at him. (laughs) Hello down there. (laughs) Cheers, Harry. I've got my Terry Henri painting up here. But anyway, I know I've done some extreme things in the past to get out of doing podcasts, but I've never actually detached parts of my own body to to free up some time. So fair play to you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you deserve yeah. the break. <laughs> yeah, you were enlightening me that, that uh, James but Nicholas uh, Gunner block has also hurt his own finger. So maybe it's mm-hmm. a theme. Uh, it's a very, it's very much a theme that's appearing. Harry, what appendage are you planning on cutting off to improve Arsenal's fortunes? Well, I think I'm going to wear gloves around the house to protect my finger for the next few days. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not protecting anything. I've I've been having it from all angles the last few days. So. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to get into some of kind of the, the social aspects of the breakdown of yesterday's game. But just before we do, I want to get your thoughts and feelings and raw reactions to to the results. Drew, we'll start with you. How did you feel after a game in which we expected very little and got very little, but still felt pretty damn hurt afterwards? Are you sure you want to start with me? You're making yes, this kind of decision. Absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Um, no, it's fine because I kind of feel like there aren't many people that I know that walked into that 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 fixture expecting a win and maybe that's maybe a 
the synopsis of where we are at the minute. You know, we, we can't look at any big six side or arrival at the moment and think that we can go and get a result, even at home. And I think that's where a lot of the prevailing frustration comes from. But for the match in general, I feel like without trying to sound like an echo chamber, I feel like we all we're gonna have the same we're gonna have the same gripes, aren't we? Tactics were wrong. You know, it's not even about the eleven. It's the best eleven you could field given the issues. You know, with with who's available, who's not, COVID concerns, whatever it might be. But I kind of feel like for me, you know, we've had success in the past against Chelsea with trying to match with three at the back. You know, um, being a bit more direct. You know, trying to really hit them at pace. But it just kind of feels like the more and more uh, deeper we get into the Arteta project, kind of feels like we still don't have the definitive remit for him. Like, the, we, I, I struggle to see what we're about still. And that's kind of damning for me. It's been, what, 20, 20 months in? I still don't know how we're supposed to be playing. And I feel like a lot of the players, and I'm not trying to speak out of turn, but... What turn is there? That's true, too. But oh. if, you, if, you, if you look at a lot of the players, they also just seem like the shape is there, but they don't know what to do in that shape. And that, to me, is is really frustrating because it means that things just aren't getting through and that comes back down to the fact that what are we you know what are we on the pitch it's not even about the identity off the pitch for me right now the, the big concern is what are we on it and i think by now we need to be seeing some at least some hallmarks of that and we don't and i think that, you know the result i'm not upset i think look at our betting league at tgg how many of us had lukaku get in the opener for example how many of us had us losing. I think all of us had us losing, mm. and I think Do we get points for that. By the way, just the result. Do you get points for the result? You get the, res- the it's, it's the result, the score, the first score. There's a whole bunch of it. But um, okay, sweet. But yeah, but but the result. But every but everybody knew. Everyone knew Lukaku was going to score. Everyone knew Lukaku, we had no answer for that. You know, but I feel like maybe we would have been that much more confident with a back three, maybe. But again, I, but would we have? It's just yeah, it's just it's frustrating. But I'm not mad at the result. I'm 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 getting increasingly more frustrated about the fact that I think for me, Arteta just isn't doing his actual job at this point. When you look at the, even when with a fully fit squad, we wouldn't have won yesterday if everyone was fit. I, or Sunday, I'm convinced that, that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's not because the players aren't good enough. And in, in a lot in a lot of the cases, if, and when, if you feel our best eleven, I think the players are good enough to to compete for top six. I think that what's holding us back now is Arteta isn't doing what's required to extract the maximum from our players. And for me, that's that's the issue. And if that continues, yeah, we're going to lose against City. You know, I, I hate to say this, but it, it's how many of us are going to really go into you know North London derby confident? Who, how many of us going to Norwich confident? Yeah, or? exactly. <laughs> and, and, and what's frustrating is you see already, and I hate making, I'm, I'm sorry for the rant, but I hate making comparisons, but uh, Nuno's been at Spurs for a month, two, mm. and you are, you're already seeing someone like Steven Bergwijn being 50 times the player he was last season. So he's already getting the best out of a player who a lot of people thought was fringe after his, after his move the season before. You know, you're still seeing some semblance of what Nuno had at, uh, at at Wolves. You're seeing it already at Spurs, and they're getting results. So I'm not trying to compare us to Spurs as much as saying that if he can already if he can already see progress that early, why aren't we seeing progress, consistent progress with Arteta? Beyond results last season, you know, I think last season was we wanted to be confident with the, with the run post Christmas. But we're not seeing that same thing transition to this season after spending money. So, I mean, I get the angst, I get the frustration, and yeah, it's becoming a lot at the moment, you know. So, 
It's adding up, it's building up, layering up uh, on top of us all, for sure. Owen, uh, raw reactions to the result? Yeah, um, I'm really just going to echo sort of what Drew said in a much more stupid way, more layman's terms. <laughs> and, uh, no, what, what, what was aggravating for me is, uh, like Drew said, I think that regardless of what players that you put out on the pitch yesterday, with the instructions that they were put out there with, I think they were never going to win that game. In fact, I think you could handpick players from throughout Europe if you want to put Chiellini, Virgil van Dijk there, if you want to put Andy Robertson and Trent. With the instructions that they were given, I think that they were they were never going to win that game. Um, to me, this game was won and lost on the wings, and it's funny because that's somewhere that we tend to direct a lot of our play is is mm. towards the wings with um, Bakayo Saka, Kieran Tierney, even Granit Xhaka being able to drop in there. But we were absolutely dismantled um, in those avenues. For me, uh, Kieran Tierney, I think, got a little bit of stick online in terms of that not being his best performance. But for me... He seemed to be carrying out a lot of instructions. He was very, very high, pushed very, very high up the pitch. And then he was just constantly recovering to try and get back. Pablo Mari didn't have a great game. But again, I'm not going to pull any particular player into, into too much question or criticism at the minute. Because for me, they were sort of, they were always up against it, as I say, with the formation that they were put out there. And, and something that I sort of cast my mind back to was when I was playing football, Something that was really, really common that you don't see in football very much anymore is a, a man-marking system. Uh, I don't care what formation, what numbers you want to say, or what way you want to set them up on the team sheet. But there was, there was always, there was always the old-fashioned rule of, let's say, Romelu Lukaku, who I thought was the decider. He was the player who absolutely dictated dictated this game from start to finish. He was absolutely immense, and we just couldn't match him physically. But what does this happen? The old rule where it would have been Callum Chambers, you're playing in a back three, and your job is solely just to stick to Romelu Lukaku's ass. Just stay on him. Don't let him move. Don't don't let him play anybody in. It's I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough job, but it's just about keeping him preoccupied, and that's what it means. Is because every single time that Chelsea had the ball, it was simple. They played it into Lukaku, who dropped deep. He sucked one of our central defenders out. One of our uh, wing-backs correctly tucked in to try and kill that space and then we were left with a mountain of space out in the flank or the opposite happened and they played it out to the wing they, they got sucked out and Mason Mount or Kai Havertz went into the inside channels and, and that's where it was it was um, won and lost for me and the frustrating thing for me is as well is that one of the things I've heard well, we, uh, of people is we we were never expected to win this game and, and I, I agree to a certain extent we were never expected to win this game but to turn around, I think, and say that this is a two, three, four-year project, I just think that at this stage, that is just... I, I think that people are looking at this as a bigger job than it actually is. You know, like, it's football's a funny old world. You look at what everybody's saying about Chelsea now at the minute, that they're head-on favourites now to win the league that Romelu Lukaku's saying, <clears throat> or that Manchester United are, are up in that fight as well. Chelsea were being laughed at under Frank Lampard less than a year ago. Manchester United were in the same realm as us 18 months ago with Alagona Solskjaer on the risk of being sacked. And people are saying that Liverpool will be lucky to finish in the top four. Just won the Premier League and the Champions League within the last three years. The football landscape changes so quickly. And I think they write us off and say that a change of manager or or one big signing couldn't elevate us to a different level. I think it's just it's um, a bit juvenile, I think, to have that sort of the, uh, that mindset in the, in the modern game. I think that you raise a few good points, especially about kind of how quickly do things do change and specifically 
kind of the damning effects that has on Arsenal remaining eighth um, and that we've not taken advantage of to changes in the landscape and that the improvements we've made and maybe the shortcomings of other sides that have dropped. We, we have been the team that have dropped. And to allow that to happen is, is a massive criticism, not just the manager, but of the recruitment setup as well. Harry, just before we move on to kind of more direct questions, what were your raw reactions of the game yesterday? Yeah, I thought it was incredibly naive, as, as the guys have, have basically alluded to, that Arsenal approached the game in that way tactically. Um, Mikel Arteta, after the game, didn't he, in his press conference, he said, well, we've beaten them playing with the back three and we've beaten them playing with the back four, almost as if to kind of to excuse the fact that he got it horribly wrong. And Which was a lie, by the way. It was a lie, what he said. He's, when he said about beating them with the back four, they mm. played a back four in that game. They yeah, didn't exactly, play a back three. So. Exactly, because it was it was yeah. it wasn't Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. No, and um and and that's a massive you know that makes a massive difference. Chelsea are a far better side under Thomas Tuchel than they ever were under Frank Lampard, and I just think he's talked a lot about the players that were missing, and I agree that that does make a difference, and I agree that the preparation wasn't ideal, but as Owen said, those players being in the side, you, you're still not convinced that we're going to get anything against Chelsea, and that is because of the way we set up. And I can have sympathy for a manager when he's got players missing and it, his preparation has been disrupted if I feel that he has done everything within his power to give us the greatest chance of getting a result. And I thought he did the opposite. I thought it was that issue that we were having down the left-hand side, down our left-hand side, where Mason Mount was running in behind Granite Xhaka. Kieran Tierney was in that place where he didn't really know what to do. As Owen pointed out, Kieran Tierney is right to tuck in. That's what defenders do. You know, you're, first and foremost, you have to defend the width of your penalty area and you need to have spare men. That's how you defend effectively. And we never, ever mm. did that. It was it always seemed like one versus one in every sort of area of the pitch. And when their players are be not just better technically, but physically on another level as well. I mean, people like Marcus Alonso, there was a, a point in the second half, he went up for a, a header with Pablo Marie. And you're looking and you're saying, if our centre-half cannot win a header against Marcus Alonso, the left wing-back, what chance does he have against Romelu Lukaku? And yeah. there was just mismatches all over the park. And I just, as I said, I just don't feel that Mikel did everything within his power to give us the greatest chance of getting a result. It is frustrating. It is disappointing. I understand why Arsenal fans are upset. But the toxicity that comes off the back of this is, is what really bothers me, actually more than what I've seen on the pitch. Because I think that when that carries on week after week after week, the atmosphere around the club becomes one that's it's really difficult to be productive within. You know, you've got Granit Xhaka coming out and talking about um, people wanting to kill the players, I think was the term he used in an interview that he gave after yesterday's game. And if the players are feeling that way, then how are we helping them as a fan base? I was actually pleasantly surprised, to be fair, with the the fans inside the stadium yesterday. I know there's been a lot of talk about the few boos there were at halftime and stuff, but for the most part, I thought everybody was behind the team and, and tried to lift the team again in the second half, which was a positive. But raw reaction is that it's disappointing, but this was not the game that was going to define our season. Neither will the game at, at City be that. Mm. But you know that that reaction is coming. You know that we, we don't have a chance, really, of going and winning at Etihad, but you know that off the back of that, this pressure is going to mount even more and the toxicity is going to increase even further. And that's probably the biggest concern for me. I I think that with the, the social side of Arsenal and the fan base in particular, and obviously 
all of us who, who do obviously our own our own thing and, and and come onto channels and speak know that chat boxes in the microcosm of of one stream can get very very live and very kind of hot in, in the chat and to see it off the back of, of a result and to see videos of people going up to Mikel Arteta's car and and saying the things that they're saying it's embarrassing like it's, it's frankly it's embarrassing to be an Arsenal fan when you see your fellow supporters going and doing that um and the easy response would be to go oh well they're not really Arsenal fans um but unfortunately they are but <laughs> they, they, they do pull on the same shirt as we do and to be associated with people that would go up to Arteta's car to do that is is a real shame. Drew, the, the, the name of today's show was How Can Arsenal Recover? Um, and that comes across in, in a lot of different ways. And it's a very broad question because it's also about how do we move ahead into the game against Manchester City. I'm well aware that we've got a League Cup game before that, but obviously the league is, is very much the priority for us because it's the only priority really that we have without European football. Um but I think the question also does delve into how do we as a fan base recover? And I do want to tackle this social side of things. How do you, what, what needs to change? Well, how do we change? Is it possible to change what we're seeing and what Harry's alluding to there about the reaction of fans after games like we saw yesterday? Um, I think for me, from the social angle, uh, someone brought this up to me earlier, actually, and I didn't consider this. But I think a lot of the, the, the overreaction you see it's an unfortunate, like it's unfortunate timing with people still correctly or incorrectly, the way they're frustrated with with during the pandemic, post pandemic. A lot of people are, I think, are lashing out even more so, and using this as the medium to do it through. Like they're masking their frustrations at other social aspects of life through football, because you see similar reactions. Don't you? you see people like losing their shit, about having to wear a mask, and then you see them losing their shit about we just lost a football match. Like, and it's never been that bad. I kind of feel like it's been bad before in the past, but it's never been this frequent. It's like every single week. It's the same sort of thing. And I kind of feel like it's just people were hoping that the joy of football was going to bring them out of a rut. And now it's not. So now it's exacerbating. And now they're just losing their cool completely. Not that I agree with it, but I think that might be some of the source of it. And people aren't really discussing that. So maybe that's one aspect of it. I don't know how we come back from it, honestly. It's just because it's not how I'm wired. It's not how you're wired. Like it's not how Owen's wired or Harry's wired. We, we, we can be frustrated and, and upset or downright angry at times about things. But like the last thing I think to do is to go on social media and video record myself in my car for five minutes, like screaming into the camera. Like that's not my, that's not how I work. I also don't seek attention. Some people do seek attention. So it depends. I don't know how you fix that. I don't think you can fix it. That's the thing. I don't know if you can fix it. The only way to fix it is, in theory, you give the fans precisely what they want tomorrow and see if that see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then you're right back to square one. So there's no easy fix for it, I don't think. I think it's been so far coming. You know, I think people got their hopes up that with, with Finger leaving and the new ownership or not with the new regime like under Eddie and I said that was going to work. And now that it hasn't really worked, I think people are equally frustrated because of that. It's just kind of like they throw their hands up like, well, what am I supposed to do next kind of thing? So... Mm. As for the club, how that can be fixed, that's, I feel like it's a whole separate question and we should move on to after the social question because like, that's all whole other side of the debate. We're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, well, how that gets fixed, I think you have to set a deadline, right? So first of all, you have to go out and win the League Cup match because even though it's just the League Cup, any sort of result right now will give you some 
hopefully some boon in confidence that you can take into the city performance. And even if you don't beat City, you still want to see the performance that you can hopefully take into that level into the Norwich match and moving forward. So and hopefully you prepared for the Northern Dyke correctly and maybe go out and win that. But I think for me, it's critical that there's got to be a point of no return. I think that's part of what might help people. You have to draw a line and say, not necessarily publicly, but hopefully there's a line that's in the end that says, you know, if, if things don't improve by this time, we have to make a change. And it sucks that it might have to be Arteta getting into the axe, but like stuff like this can't continue until the, the next Christmas period again. You know, two two years of that is a lot, it's a lot to ask from the fans, from the players, and also probably from the manager as well. So that might help. But other than that, it's hard to say what the answer is really. Oh, and there was a question, uh, a comment from Glenn in the chat. He says it's absolutely wrong and unacceptable. Um, but I think people get more aggressive when they feel they aren't being listened to, and the hopeless feeling of seeing the owner and the manager making mistakes. Do you? <laughs> and I, I understand the point and the sentiment. But I was at the ground before the game yesterday where fans had an opportunity to voice their concerns towards the, the ownership and 30 people turned up. And then I would estimate, and Harry was in the ground, so if you had to tell me if I'm wrong, but several thousand people at full time booed the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't see, I, I, I see a contradiction there. If people aren't happy, then why aren't they organising and and sorting out a genuine kind of riposte to, to what's going on rather than just being sitting there and happy in your seat until full time when actually then you want to show uh, your displeasure. Well, it's something that I've mentioned on, on the pod before, and that's that the Twitter football community isn't reflective of the actual football community that you see on a day-to-day basis. Like, for example, the, the Arsenal fans that I would have a beer with down in the pub on match day are completely different to a lot of the Arsenal fans that I interact with. It's not us, by the uh, way. You should see Owen's real friends. They're weird. Yeah, they are strange. <laughs> so, mutated inbred Irish people. But anyway, yeah. Um, but um, no, look, I, I think, I know you disagree with, with the Boone thing, Tom, but I actually, to a certain extent, I think that people who are paying the most expensive rates in, in Europe is still think it is to go and watch a football match, have the right to voice their displeasure if they're unhappy. And I know that uh, I was listening to the show yesterday and you says, but it's you're booing Lokanga. And I don't think necessarily because it's the same thing when say Aubameyang scores a goal and the crowd cheer or they are the cheering for every single member of the, of the team. No, they're, they're cheering for the person who have scored, who scored the goal, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I, th- I think that when people, and as well as that, look, people, a lot of people who go to the match day game, say, for example, my granddad, all right, he doesn't use Twitter. He can't go on and start an online ca- campaign to to get the manager removed or voice his opinion about the ownership of the club or anything like that, you know. So, but the, when it boils down to it, I think the main problem, and this is such a 2021 thing and in and, and recent years thing, is just online virtue signaling. People love to crave attention. People love the mob mentality. People love to feel as if they're included in some sort of righteous group that um, knows all and, and the right way to do things. And unfortunately, when it comes to crunch time, like you said, of actually going out and having boots on the ground and, and standing in the pissing rain down um, on a Saturday afternoon down in, uh, at the Emirates, People don't want to do that. You know, people don't want to do that. But for me, I seen a comment in the chat earlier when we're talking about, I know that we're probably going to go into more of this later on, but in terms of how we move forward and what you were asking, Drew, for me, it's at the point now where 
the the blame for me doesn't lie with Arteta anymore. Very much like my mindset was with Unai Emery. I think Mikel Arteta has shown to be too inexperienced for the task at hand. And I think that the, the, it's now down to the Cronkies to act and not and that we shouldn't be casting our blame on Mikel Arteta because as I, I've said before, I like him as a person. I think he has the right idea. I think he's got good intentions at his heart and that he's trying to do the right thing. I just don't think he has the abilities or the skill set to do that yet. And for me, I always use the analogy of if I hired a painter and decorator to come in and paint my whole house, and after the first room, it looked like an absolute nightmare. Whose fault is it if I tell him to crack on and paint the other six or seven rooms? You yeah. know, it's not not the painter and decorator's fault. It's my fault. And that's the thing with the Cronkies now. They're seeing this. And if they want to win over fan support, I'd say it's relatively in favour now of, of maybe moving on Mikel Arteta. This is how they do it. You know, they don't need to go out and spend massive, massive amounts of money. They just need to be decisive in the right way. And in terms of... The biggest counter argument to that is who do we get in? Well, look, that's not my job. That's why I'm sitting on a podcast. That's why you find leaks for a living. That's it. You know, that's not my job to go and find somebody to manage Arsenal Football Club. That's their job. So, you know, ju- ju- just because we don't have a candidate directly in sight, that doesn't justify the reason for, for keeping Mikel Arteta in, in his current position. Yeah, I, I, I the analogy is perfect. It is. I think people will struggle with it, though, because I think people will think that it's at the end of the day the manager is responsible for the team selections and stuff and if there's kind of that the results are not you I, I know what you're saying in a secondary sense the results are down of course to the Cronkies and their ownership and the way that we've gone through but the team selection is obviously down to Arteta mm-hmm. and it's a lot easier to replace a manager than it is to replace the ownership of the club and, and people might be very much of the mind of going look whatever we do the Cronkies are going nowhere but if we put enough pressure on the manager's situation and and hope that we're heard and that it's a negative enough that it's having kind of a detrimental impact on the, the, the look of the club, then maybe that would change things, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Harry, what do you think about this whole discussion? I'm, I'm a little bit with Owen on the whole, the booing thing. Like, I don't agree necessarily with booing the team. I don't mm. think it helps. I, I haven't really got an issue with people making their feelings known at the end of the game if we didn't play well and we lost and whatever. I think that as a as a fan who's attended the game, I think you've got that right. And like Owen said, there are loads of people that don't go on Twitter, that don't do this and don't do that. And so that's their way of getting that message across. What I have an issue with is that the way society has gone now is we've and and football, especially in terms of social media and YouTube and everything, we've made stars out of people that lose their shit for nothing. And and that's the big problem that we've got because every teenager now, you see that they, they want to get their phone out and they want to video. I know themselves. exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's mad. It's it's honestly mad. Like Eddie and yeah. Ketia, when I was walking to the gate uh, to the ground yesterday. Eddie and Ketia drove uh, up the road and he was about to go under the tunnel where, just after the Tollington to go into the players' car park. And a load of kids, uh, he stopped so they could move the barrier to let him through. And a load of, like, teenagers, I'm not saying all teenagers are like this, obviously, but a load of teenagers Bloody gathered kids. around his car. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I mean, they all gathered around his car, okay? And a couple of them were really polite at the beginning because I was standing right there and they said, oh, Eddie, do you mind if we get a selfie? Uh, do you mind if we get a selfie? Whatever. And then you've got these other kids who've got their phones and they're pointing them at them. And they're going, Eddie, are you going to Crystal Palace? Eddie, it's like they're trying to capture something. They're mm. trying to capture something with the sole intent 
of getting it online and getting clout that way. That is what people want to do now. It, it, it's it's all about winning friends and trying to make your profile big online. And I know that might sound a bit rich coming from people that do YouTube, but like we do it because we genuinely love the club and we do it because we want to talk about the club. We don't do it. And I, I know you don't, Tom. We don't do it because we want to get as many followers as we possibly can. You know, if that if that comes with your content, great. It means you're doing a good job. But some of these people, it's their sole intent is to make a splash online. And a lot of them see the quick route into doing that by being overly outraged, overreacting to every single situation and every single scenario. And for me, that is just, it's horrible. It's just horrible to see. Like I've got, I've got you know, family that are younger than me that I see doing exactly the same thing. Videoing yourself, like that guy that's videoed himself screaming in the car after the, what is that about? Someone needs to call a doctor on him, honestly. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's madness. That is not normal. And that is all it's fake. Normal, no. Because he's seen other people elevate to fame and success mm. by doing that. And that's where it comes from, unfortunately. Now that, that that video of the you just and I've it's, I've seen them before I've seen some of his things that he's done before it's not the first time and that and they do go viral unfortunately and it's it's what annoys me most is that obviously he's wearing the Arsenal badge on his chest and it's representative of what I pull onto my chest when I go to watch the Arsenal and it's it's become I mean when I use this analogy all the time that when I was at school it, it used to be like Arsenal fans Man United fans whatever not Chelsea fans they didn't ex exist when I was back at school um, but more Man United and Arsenal and Liverpool that you would be talking about the football you'd be like having debates about you know the players on the pitch who was better Henri or Van Nistelrooy and then now it's who's got the most more who's got the more embarrassing fan base like, and it's always Arsenal that comes out on top every single time and that's what I feel like and when I watch Harry's show and I watch the Chronicles it's very clear that the communities that watch our two channels are thankfully very much more down to earth and, and you guys definitely kind of get it and so do the guests that we bring onto the channel so we're very thankful for that but it is just I can't stand it it's it's so it's so irritating to see kind of the, the the badge that you wear tarnished in that way and and I don't even get the point like like fame is a really weird thing to talk about in isolation like I don't know what you think that comes with that like people coming up to you and saying oh, I saw that video you did you look like a right moron <laughs> what, what are you gonna get from that it's so strange so yeah it's a, it's a weird complex I do disagree with you both though on on the booing thing for me and I talked about this on yesterday's show um I find it I find booing really weird I find it really strange um I've I feel like, and I tweeted, like, why are people booing Lokonga? And the response was, well, we wasn't booing Lokonga. We were booing the performance and we weren't happy and wanted to show our displeasure. And I was like, right, but Lokonga was part of that performance and he had an excellent display and you, you booed the team and therefore you booed Lokonga. And I know that you're not saying that you're doing it directly and you're, you're not going to shout, oh, boo you guys, other than you, Lokonga. Like, I know that's not something you can do, but I just find it strange. And I don't, it's, it kind of came down to, it linked to me to the argument with the whole of the taking of the knee during the Euros and when there was the big discussions about the booing of, of the taking of the knee and the players turned around and said, look, we're, we're taking the knee because we're making a stand against racism. Forget all of your side stuff and all of this Marxist rubbish and BS. Like, it's we're doing this because we are making a stand against racism. And so if you're booing the message that we're putting across, which is that racism is wrong and we're fighting for equality, you're, you're booing that message. And it's the same thing for me here in the sense that if you're booing 
the team, you're booing everything about what that what you've seen there. And for me, that's that's Lakonga's performance, which was great. And that's that's why I struggle with it. I feel free to come back at me, either of you two, on this because I don't want to close the floor to a, a retort. So go on, Owen. No, no, not not at all. I th- look, you made some good points there. It's just that like my main problem with your argument is, as you say, that people have a right to voice their their opinions uh, about any subject, really. And I think that as as you mentioned, you hit the nail on the head. It's very difficult difficult for. 60 odd thousand people as a collective to voice their opinion in such a, a a refined direct way at one particular thing you know whereas booing is just a, that that's what it is you know but i'm not saying i like it i don't do it um i remember the um the last game i was at was a uh, villa uh, when unai Emery was there the one we came back three two after the red yard granite jacka got booed off the pitch at that and i was pretty disgusted at, the, at that you know i, I don't really like that but look mm. i'm one of these people and please don't take this the wrong way but i i, I think uh, like freedom of speech and freedom of expression is quite quite a good thing as well i think that uh we're trying to limit that as a society a lot now but at the same time mine goes too far like i think that if someone was to booing people taking the knee or people were throwing bottles at Chelsea players after scoring a goal, or Dimitri Payet, uh, probably hit them an elbow <laughs> on the side of the head. You know, that's how much freedom I think that I should have. But it's look, it's 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 just a case now. I think of like we've touched on now. People are after their 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 five seconds of fame for something, whether that's positive or negative. You know, there's that old the old saying: if you want to become a superstar, become a serial killer. It's that old thing. You know. It's the easiest way to do it, and and, 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 and and unfortunately, look, people really don't care anymore about the avenue that they take to get that fame, and 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 unfortunately, it's ingrained into our society. And I'm not going to mention names, but we see with certain YouTube channels of different fan, different uh, clubs throughout the Premier League and everywhere else that. Unfortunately, it's the negativity and and uh, overreaction that that gets the hits hits get the views. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sure, especially for someone like YouTube, boys who puts so much work into certain videos, it can be quite frustrating when there's really really digestible, informative information put out in your videos. Yet some moron screaming in his car about something maybe gets five, six, seven times the amount of views. Do you know and that's just the way it is now people go on looking for for something negative people don't want positivity people don't want information they just want drama i i i don't really have an issue with it if it's if it's genuine like if you feel that way and you want to boo because you're that annoyed about how the teams perform like my my dad is a prime example of this yeah my dad will moan during a football match yeah like he'll be in the emirates and he'll be moaning Okay, but my dad doesn't give. Is your dad Drew? (laughs) (laughs) But he doesn't. He doesn't care about Twitter. He doesn't care about Facebook. He doesn't put anything on Instagram. It is. It is because that's how he feels at the time, and I haven't got an issue with that. What I've got an issue with is people doing it because it's fashionable and people ranting about things they're not even. You know, they might be upset about it, but they're nowhere near as upset as they're trying to portray, and that's what annoys me. It's this fake outrage thing that everybody seems to want to do yeah and it, it just does my head in like why would you want to be more unhappy than you already are i don't i don't get it so real fast i think like i mean i get what you're saying it, for me i think it's again it's the social aspect of everything so there was just this video i saw this morning of this just one guy whose seat was not far from where eddie was and so the person started recording him right before he got up so you know it was planned. He got up, he walked over to Edu, and then started 
gesticulating towards Eddie. Oh, yeah. So you know that this was like a, a pre-planned thing. He was like, "Get your phone out. I'm going to go do this with Eddie." So it's not. It wasn't spontaneous. It was because again, they're hoping that it goes viral, that you get some sort of social yeah. interaction out of it. And for me, that's the, that to me is frustrating. I do think voicing your displeasure is normal as a as a fan of any sport. But for me, when I look at it, how I do it, like no matter what sport event I go to, I don't boo. But that's also because. So I take both points. Like I, I think what, what Tom is saying is you you can't. I, I kind of rationalize things. It's like, well, if whatever team I'm supporting there loses, then it's bad. I don't just sit there and boo for six minutes afterwards. I'll, I'll get up and leave. And then on the way out, usually the people that I'm with, we'll talk about it. We'll say, well, this was the bright spot. But then we'll talk about what, what, what didn't work. We don't just sit there and boo the collective. Because I do think sometimes people have to understand that sometimes players do take that personally a little bit. It's like if half the team performed, half the team didn't, but you still got smashed three no. The players that feel like they performed well, if they feel like they're still getting booed, sometimes players will feel like they're, whatever they do is never enough. That is actually a thing. And that's kind of the, the drawback of that as well. So, But I take both points. I, I don't think you should be censored. If, if you're upset, you're upset. But I do think I prefer, I prefer people that, that target their frustration to what should be what should be targeted at rather than just everything, if that makes sense. We have breaking news. Uh, would you like some breaking news? Uh, Did William. your finger grow back? <laughs> yeah, my finger's grown back. That's uh, <laughs> Willie Ann is, is close to leaving the club. Chris Wheatley reports, as per Sammy Mockbell, uh, that Willie Ann is close to signing for Corinthians on a free transfer, confirmed by those close to the player. Uh, and this show is kind of around like how does how does Arsenal recover? And we've still got time left in this window to, to make a difference. And one of the big things that we knew that we needed to do was to get players out the door. Kalasinac looks like he's off to Fenerbahce. Torreira, as per again, Chris Wheatley, looks like he's off to Fiorentino on a loan with an obligation to buy, which is great as well. Willian now looks like he's off to Corinthians. And Ketty is being linked with a move to a Crystal Palace. Harry, I'll come, I will go in reverse order and we'll, we'll come to you first. What do you make of the, the business that's being done in the latter stages? It's, is it a case of better late than never? What's been interesting this summer was that Arsenal kind of done it in reverse, didn't they? We we all thought that they'd have to shift all these players before we could actually do any business. And actually, the fact that we've done the business first, kind of, or the ins first, the majority of them anyway, mm. seems to suggest that, you know, to be fair, for all the criticism that they get, the club have found a way of financing those deals in advance of moving players on which obviously shows that there is an ambition to improve things. There is a desire to get the team back to where it needs to be. But these deals were always going to happen towards the end of the window. I mean, that's that was always going to be the case. If you're a club looking at somebody like Willian, or you're looking at somebody like Ser Kalasinac, or you know any one of a number of players that Arsenal would be open to moving on this summer, you are not going to go in with a, the biggest offer at the beginning, you're going to wait. You're going to watch the, how the situation develops and you're going to bank on the fact that Arsenal are so desperate to get these players out that you might be able to steal them on a cut price deal and in terms on terms that are more favourable to you. That is just how business works. So we're going to see, I expect, a lot of movement out between now and the end of the window because we're in the last few days of it. That was always going to be the case. And it was always going to be the case that some of our business in terms of incomings was going to happen that way as well. And I, we see it every year. Why do people sort of lose their minds when we don't do business in the first two weeks of the transfer window, as if that's ever been the way it goes? So, you know, I, I think 
We're moving players out, which obviously needs to happen. I do think we are hindered by a lot of the players that we've got um, at the club. The fact that we haven't been able to move them on has probably prevented us doing additional business. It's probably not just in terms of transfer fees, but wage budgets, wage structures, overloads in the squad. I mean, you look at the right back position now and, you know, everybody's saying we need to get a right back. And I agree, we, we need a better right back. But you got Maitland-Niles, you got Bellerin, you got Cedric and you got Callum Chambers, all who can play that position. How do you justify going and adding a fifth until you move players on? So there was always going to have to be a bit of uh, pulling each way in this transfer window. We were going to have to bring in players, but we were going to have to let players go as well. And I think to recover um, completely is going to take time because we're suffering from a hangover from years of bad management. It's not to say Mikel Arteta's got everything right and that he's absolutely the right man. But, you know, you had to be aware, I think, of of the, the challenges posed by by what's gone on in years gone by. Absolutely. And I, I, the thing for me is a case of Arsenal have always, Arsenal were always going to struggle in this window to offload those players because the teams that are going to want them as well are the teams that are most affected by the pandemic. You're not going to see Premier League clubs really coming in for your Williams, the Kalasnatches of this world. And the teams that are going to take them are going to be the ones that are on the continent. And those that are on the continent are the most affected by the pandemic and most restricted with their finances. As, as Drew likes to say, how do you sell a player that is not sellable? Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a very hard thing to do. Uh, just before I go to Owen's question, Jerome Pierre in the chat. Thanks for the super chat. It says Arsenal performances need to be booed. How else should fans voice their displeasure at what they are watching? I would recommend turning up for a protest. <laughs> that's, that's another way you could do it. Owen, um, we've obviously seen Eddie and Ketia link with a move away from Arsenal. Uh, Athletic reported this morning that we want 20 million quid. Palace are willing to play 10 million quid. We've already seen Arsenal really hold out and get the fee that they wanted for Joe Willock. We've also seen Arsenal hold out with Granit Xhaka and Sinus renew his contract. And Ketia has had a contract on the table that he does not want to sign and that he will likely leave the club on a free next year if he does stay past this and the January window. Is it right for, for Edu to, to continue to hold out for a player in this kind of situation or should he have just cut his ties and sold for that price? It's a difficult one. No, first of all, I think I think the the fee that we're commanding is is a little over the top and uh, maybe slightly cheeky, even you'd say in the current market when we're seeing some of the prices that that other people are moving for, including someone like Joe Willock, who I think his his talent and and his track record far surpass that of a player like Eddie and Caddy is. Um, but one thing I will say is that whilst I have a lot of criticisms of the club and Mikel Arteta. I do think the business that we have done this summer has been quite good. While I still think there's a bit to be desired and there's some time left to do that, I, I think that I don't look at any signing and think why on earth did we do that? You know, every every signing makes makes sense for me. A lot of potential, um, and a lot of the players that have brought in quite decent fees as well. Um, so yeah, look, the the business has been very good. Um, in terms of Eddie and Kadia with that move, I think that Arsenal, something that I've said a couple of times, is that I think that we're a club at the minute who are trying to make other clubs pay for our poor business decisions that we've made in years past. And um, what I mean by that is it's fine to sit if you're Liverpool and demand 20 million quid for Ryan Brewster, but everybody knows that Arsenal needs to sell. Everybody knows that. Eddie and Kedia likely isn't going to get a lot of game time and that he has only one year left on his deal. And I think that 
if you're talking about a game of chicken, you know, somebody pulling out first, I think that we're probably in the weaker position of the two in regards to um, Arsenal and Crystal Palace. But look, with the whole transfer window thing, I'm, I, I, I remember, I don't know, I'm going off on a slight tangent here, but you said your hot take for this summer was that Mikel Arteta would remain at the club regardless of what decision. What I'm tr- interested in is that Mikel, and, Mikel Arteta and Edu seem to be like this Laurel and Hardy partnership of, you know, they're thick as thieves and they're, they come as a bunch. But <laughs> for me, it's funny, within businesses, everybody's everybody's backed until they're not backed, if you know what I mean. The, the Until, so let's say, for example, 10 games and results aren't going uh, the way of, of Arsenal or Arteta, and the board pulls them into a meeting and they say, well, is it your business decisions in terms of our incomings that aren't working out or is it your tactics that you're deploying um, that aren't working out? To watch the two of them turn on each other. And and for me, uh, maybe a question to throw back to you, but you boys is from where you're sitting and where you think the Cronkies are sitting, who do you think that they would back if that sort of head-to-head ever came? I'll take us much more easily replaced, um, I think, than I do. Um, so, yeah, I think it would probably fall to, to him of the two. And he's less experienced. And, like, yeah, they, they've got a good excuse because the, the, it's clear that a large majority of the fan base would, would happily see Arteta gone now, I think. So, uh, yeah, I think it would certainly fall, fall down that route. I don't think they'd have any issue getting rid of him. I just don't think that there's a, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of a, a, a pressure. Uh, from then to, to move him on and I still feel like they've they'll feel like they've invested a lot of money and that this is a long-term thing it's not going to happen in in the time that it's taken and, and still you look at that say 18 plus month period I, I still think that they look at that as still very much short term Harry who yeah who, who should come in though I, I genuinely want to know that's the thing Antonio Conte would not last five minutes with the Cronkies honestly he wouldn't like yeah. he is, he is a. You want him though? Like you're desperate for I, him. I love him. I love him. I, I <laughs> yeah. think that pound for pound, he's the best manager in Europe at the moment. Not just because of what he achieves, but the the speed at which he turns teams around. He took Inter in his first year from being way off the pace to pretty much or well, they finished a point behind Juve, mm. and then in the second season they won the league. So he he closes the gap and he turns things around really really quickly. But why would he take the job? Why would he take the job? That is what I struggled to get my head around. So it's all good about people talking about the problems all the time. What are the solutions? I want to hear solutions. I don't want to hear problems all the time because we all know what the problems are and we can Mm -hmm. see them. Who comes in now that is attainable and fixes what is going on at Arsenal? Today. I would love to see some suggestions in the chat box, guys. So for Harry's question, who would you bring in that you genuinely believe uh, would change things? I'm seeing a lot of shouts for Graham Potter. I'm trying not to put another knife into the massive gash in my finger. Um, but uh, Drew, have you got any suggestions for me? Who would turn this around? That's what the chat box was saying. I was looking, I was looking pissed. The question we had was, how can Arsenal recover? And a lot of no. people replied saying, sack the manager. <laughs> that's a very, what, very representative thing. Which is which is okay. I mean, if that's what they want, it's not that I'm necessarily against that at this point, I feel like. That's what I was talking oh. about, the line in the sand before. Like, they're, they're... This. Oh. <laughs> oh. Christ. Anyway, mo- moving on. Okay, so um, for me... <laughs> I hate you. For me... Um, 
Yeah, if you're gonna go and get a new manager, it, first of all, you have to identify one that has experience or at least more experience than Arteta had. I mean, that's kind of the first step, I guess. But it's a challenge to find someone with less. It's, well, true, but <laughs> for, so for me, the key is if we've already been if we've been endeavoring on what we're currently doing now. Clearly, if you look at the transfer business we've had, all the players we've brought in this summer were 23 years or younger. So it needs to be a, a manager that wants to come in and have a long-term project, a long-term scope to, to the project. Can't just be, they're gonna come in, they're gonna bend the entire thing and demand 300 million to go out and buy five established 27 year olds and win the league next year. But that can't be the type of manager you're gonna want. That's why I don't want Conte. I just feel like, I agree with Harry that he's, a, he's I think he's an exceptional manager. I just don't think he fits what the club are. And that's that's a bit, <laughs> Clive. <laughs> <laughs> that's great suggestion. <laughs> Employ Clive, that would work. So, so I think that for me is the issue with Conte. I think if we if we were Chelsea without Tuchel, then Conte would make more sense, you know, or United, that kind of thing, but we're not. So you have to look at what we are and who fits it. So for me, I hate, I hate to break it to you, but I actually would take Graham Potter. And it's not be, just... And it's not because I feel like he's some. Drew has unfortunately left this podcast. Uh, I'm, only, <laughs> I'm only joking. Here, so. No, I, I, it's not because I feel like he's going to win us the league, but I feel like the, the the key that you said is it's managers that are attainable. We've all talked about this, so he would have to be considered. And unfortunately for fans, I think they have to yeah. be realistic about the kind of managers that are attainable right now, or not the kind of managers that that they're going to want. You know, like. Conte has no reason to come here. Harry is absolutely correct on that. I agree. When, how many times have we linked with Allegri? Get Allegri. Why would Allegri come here? Another case in point. So you would have to assume that Potter would or someone like Hassan would or someone like that. It's, it's not going to be this massive, glamorous knight in shining armor riding over the hill to save you. You know, It's not going to be that way. It's going to be someone that has to suit a longer-term vision who is willing to work with youth, who is willing to rely on the academy still, who doesn't need... Uh, an excess of money to sort of fix the issues. The issues aren't the players. We've said that. The players are now, all the key places are in place. It's a matter of fixing tactically now what we're doing, the, the identity of the club on the pitch and off it as well. So if you can find a man that can do that, then I think you're better off than trying to find a quick fix solution that may or may not work and that's going to cost you an enormous amount of money to bring in or even sack then if that doesn't work. So yeah, I don't, I don't have names. It's just we're in a really tricky position at the minute and that's part of the problem where Bringing Arteta was a high risk, high reward. Where if it worked out, you're you're you're, you're laughing. But if it didn't, you're now in a position that we're potentially currently in, and, and it may have been a gamble that might bite us in the ass in the end. So, it's one thing that frustrates me is when we get into this discussion is people literally just throw a name in without yeah. any prior kind of like I see people in the chat have put the Lille manager. Now people who know. Gaultier just went to Nice, so he's, he's automatically nice. right. So the Lille, the Lille manager is currently a man that's got one draw and two losses in his three games as manager, Yoselin Gorvenek. Like, like yeah. so if you want to bring, if you want to bring in Yoselin Gorvenek, I mean, I mean, I don't <laughs> think I would, but it's just that's what frustrates me sometimes about these discussions is that it's just a lack of like Eric Ten Hag comes up and I know Drew you watch a lot of Dutch football. Would Eric Ten Hag be a, a good choice? I don't know enough to have a judgment about that. It's I like I feel like people look at how Ajax did with it two years ago in Champions League as like the, the the end all be all. This is what we could be under Ten Hag. But you have to forget that Ajax can literally play at fifty percent capacity domestically and prepare to focus on Champions League. Arsenal aren't in a position to do that. I think on a tactical level, I think he might suit. Obviously, he has a lot of experience with younger players, but any 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 
any manager or player coming from a league that's way off the Premier League pace, you have to you have to do your due diligence and really digging deep to wonder if that will work or not. Um, a lot of people called for like who else has been recent? Um, I forget the, some of the names. Uh, like like a Van Bommel or a Van Bronckhorst, those kind of managers. Yeah, they had success in, in the Netherlands, but it's easy to have success in the Netherlands when you're at the top, one of the top two clubs in the Netherlands that are expected. You're going to finish first or second every season if you're Ajax or PSV. That's it. Period. It's a matter of, and then and you know that. So your job is immeasurably easier. It's not the same mentality as coming to Arsenal and trying to fix what is currently a broken giant that needs a, a whole hell of a lot of work. It's not the same project. It just isn't. So while they may be a good manager, it doesn't mean they're going to fit. You know. So it's, yeah, it's tricky. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Owen, can I have a suggestion from you? I'm, li- I'm liking this game. <laughs> yeah, it's, I know. I'm going to get absolutely slaughtered in the chat for this. But the, no, I've actually seen two that – that sort of one excite, me, excite me, Mike Feinberg. Yes, exactly. That was my <laughs> number one pick. If there's a man to run your club stylistically into the ground, it's Mike Feinberg. <laughs> no, but there's two for two completely different reasons, and I'm not sure how obtainable they are, but uh, Roberto Mancini is one that I would be quite open to. I've seen you turn your head there, but I think in terms of... No, 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 I was, no, I was turning no. my head at Frank <laughs> no. DeBoer being suggested in no, the chat. No, 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 no. <laughs> Roberto Mancini has Premier League experience. Mm. He he obviously has experience dealing with big characters on the international stage with Italy. Um, I think that he would be a sort of steady pair of hands to stabilise the club, maybe not in the long term, but in the short term. And um, yeah, he would excite me for that reason. The other one was, and I'm not sure how obtainable he would be just because of loyalties, but Stevie Gerrard from Mm. getting him from Rangers, I think he has obviously... a short one at that, but quite a good track record of um, getting a lot out of uh, a core group with with a sort of smaller budget and overtaking Celtic, who were basically in a one-horse race for, for years. And I think not only has he got the results, he's done it in style. It's quite entertaining football, and he seems to be the type of figure that commands a lot of respect. And I think he would maybe transfer that over to a squad like Arsenal, especially with the players of the age group that we have, that 23, you know, Stevie Gerrard, Regardless of what you want to say about his his, his silverware collection, he is a he's an icon of the game, and I think he would command some respect. The only thing I would say quickly is you get the feeling about Gerard that he's waiting for the Liverpool job, and Rangers, oh, yeah. Rangers is the perfect place to get that experience. They're constantly in Europe, you know, they're fighting for trophies. The minute Klopp leaves, I guarantee he'll he'll put his name in the hat, and <laughs> Liverpool will probably accept it. Here's the other thing as well. We're talking about obtainable, okay? And when people talk yeah. about Brent, Brent, Brenton Rogers at Leicester, okay? And Leicester are obviously further up in the packing order than us at the minute. Their their um their, their league standing shows that. But what I would say is at Celtic he was hailed. Everybody loved Brenton Rogers and he was guaranteed trophies every year. But he made the move number one for a bigger profile and number two for the money probably is 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 what he moved for so for me brendan rogers has a track record of showing that he will move for money and profile and is there a bigger job in the premier league now that would get you probably a good payday from a desperate club and, and a profile as, as a club such as arsenal under such scrutiny from from the media uh, as arsenal football club at the minute i don't think there is a bigger job in the premier league at the minute than, than Arsenal and for me managers like players are egotistical people who think that they're always going to be the saviour of, of, of this fallen club and that he could come in and that it'd be a big challenge for him so I'm not sure that Brendan Rodgers would be so un, unobtainable 
uh, as maybe pe- people think. Harry, let's have your chance to wade in on the managerial merry-go-round. Ooh, this is a hard one. This is a really hard one because I, I honestly don't know. That's why I asked the question because I, I really don't know where to turn. I don't know. You know, we talk a lot about long-term projects. Who fits the bill of a long-term manager? Are there long-term managers in football at the highest level anymore? I, I don't know there are, that there are that many. Um, I think for me, when it comes to Arsenal Football Club right now, it's we when we were just outside the top four, you were looking at it and you were going, OK, we need someone that's going to come in for the next couple of years because we're not that far away. But with every year that we're outside of the Champions League, the further we fall behind and the further we fall behind, the more important I think it is that we just bring a stabiliser in first. We should have done that after Arsene Wenger left, in my opinion. We should have brought a stabiliser in. We brought Unai Emery in. He had a decent first season. And then after that, it started to go downhill. Then we went one worse by bringing in, well, I don't know if it was one worse, but we we made the wrong decision by looking at the wrong type of coach. And, and I think we're all starting to come around to that idea now that we needed, for me, someone who could just be there and, and stop us falling and then push on. And I don't know that Mikel's been able to do that yet. So it depends on what route you want to go down. If you want someone to come in now, you know, you look at, we've missed our opportunities with some of these guys, but the people like Rafa Benitez and people like that, I genuinely think they would have kept Arsenal at a certain level, maintained us at a certain point, maybe not pushed on, but at least stabilised things. And now do you, if you risk falling further behind by going with another long-term project, I really don't know. It's, it's And I don't think the Cronkies know. I don't think the club know. And and that's the problem. The fact that they, they've they made two completely different appointments since Wenger left, it, to me, is strange. You know, you want, you brought one manager in on a two-year contract who was clearly a stopgap, clearly someone that we didn't really want, but he was there and we took him. And then we went the next time around and got someone that we maybe wanted the first time around, but that is clearly going to need time. I, it just the, the strategy is all wrong. Nobody knows what it is. I don't think they know what it is. And until you get that in place, until you understand what it is you're trying to achieve and where you're trying to go, then you can't possibly make the right appointment. So the problem stems from the top. I know I've gone around the houses, but I cannot give you an answer because I really don't know. But I, I think that that's, that's the exact point that everybody needs to take into account. And, and, and for me, like we've all said, and I'm sure everybody can agree, football now is just full of snobs <laughs> like people are, are are so critical and analytical and you know somebody will turn around and say i want x manager for for arsenal football club and he'll have 30 people turn around and tell him why he's an idiot and why he's wrong but the truth is is that i think part of the problem is is that to cast your mind back to the, the 90s or whatever you didn't know we were going to sign a player until it was announced and he was in the shirt and we didn't know we were going to get a manager until he was announced everyone will remember the arson who thing you know that turned out all right that mm. did, did everybody know on the or uh, on the european stage who alex ferguson was when he first came to man united no they didn't have a clue and the prime example of that again was there was links earlier in the, in the transfer window linking Jordan Henderson with the possible move to Arsenal. And the backlash from that was absolutely unreal. And it's like, are you joking? This is a man who has won the Premier League and the Champions League and plays in the midfield of one of the best um, sides in Europe. And we're saying that he's not good enough for Arsenal. And, and for me, 
what I'm trying to put across here is that if a name like Graham Potter comes across the desk or if a name that you've never even heard of really comes across the desk, and I know it's slightly different now because the online profile and, and how much you can sort of expand your knowledge now is so much different to back in the day. But just because you don't approve, you don't know of, of, of the person that, that's being talked about doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a bad fit. I mean, uh, I, I agree with that. And that you go back to... Tom talks a lot. Uh, Tom's tweeted about this a couple of times, I think, recently. But uh, Georgina, Tom talks a lot. No, well, <laughs> well, there's that too, but that's all right. We all talk a lot. But uh, the Jorginho links, everyone turned on us with Jorginho, and yet now we're probably killing for a player like Jorginho in the team. So I think it's I think it's similar to the, the Henderson thing, where three rated uh, players by UEFA in 2021. I just feel like a lot of the fans have convinced themselves that there's only very specific players by name that are the only players. On the planet that can fix this club, Hasamawa, even Basuma are the only two. That's the only two names that people ever drop. It's like get Basuma, we'll be fine. Says who? How do you know that getting Basuma in will magically fix the issue? You don't know. He could come to the club and he could have an absolute awful first six months. You don't know that. He's a good player, sure, but just you have to look every. There's never a guarantee in football, and that's what Harry goes back to is you give yourself a better guarantee when you know what your foundations are. And that goes back to something that we talked about before is the club ethos, the ideology. The reason why a club like Bayern can usually do so well with, usually do well with managerial importance is because there's a, like they know what they're about. So they know exactly what to look for. Same thing with, you know, other clubs, I don't know, but, and I think that's where we're struggling right now at the minute. And for, for what it's worth, I kind of feel like, and I agree with Owen what he said, before is that that comes back to the ownership and by extension edu and then by extension arteta you have to know what you're trying to build both on and off the pitch and then when you know that for sure and when it's when it's written in stone then you know the kind of managers you want to get the reason why you know someone like i don't know um thomas frank is so good for brentford is because he he's literally helped build brentford to what they are and 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 for their ideologies, it's heavily data-driven. They have the links to Denmark. Thomas Frank makes the most sense for that. Would he be that effective for Arsenal? Probably not, because we'd have to literally change the entire scope of the club to fit the manager. That's not how you should be hiring managers. You should be hiring managers to complement what the club is about, not shaping the club for what the manager is. So, and that's why uh, the revolving door at Ajax, you know, Ajax has been an institution since the 60s. It's been the same institution since the 60s. So when you bring in a manager that suits that institution, you have continued success. So until we get that framework at the club, we're always going to be asking ourselves what manager fits best. We, we or even players as well. We just don't, it's hard to, it's hard to say we're going to know or not know. And I think for me, that's the biggest issue with the club period with both, appointments at the top and, and when it comes to, to player deals it's just everything is kind of a mess and, and and for me that's that's what's holding us back more than anything really so it's hard to talk about yeah uh, it, at the end of the day I, I still don't see any i don't see him going anywhere i, I don't see arteta being sacked whatsoever um and my hot take owen very much still stays as is uh right now um we've got about 20 30 minutes left of the video so we are going to be going into the chat box and going through as many of your questions there are quite a few boys so if we can keep our answers relatively condensed that would be appreciated so we can get through quite a few harry we'll start with you uh alex mccarthy says i keep hearing that any new manager would need funds i personally don't think they would need much look at the squad they have to inherit maybe two or three extra players which haven't been addressed what are your thoughts i don't think they'd need crazy money but what 
what I've been a little bit frustrated by with the transfer window and why I do think that we we probably and a new manager would still need to spend money to improve the team is because we seem to buy lots of players that are okay, are good, but we don't have game changers. We don't like if you think back, the last two game changers that we had at the football club were Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil before he went downhill. But since then, we've never brought those kind of players in. We've never had those world-class stars. We've never had the a Robin Van Persie, a Cesc Fabregas. We've gone away from that, and we've got players that are okay, and they're at, but they're at the level be- below. And I believe that rather than signing five or six players, you should sign two world-class players can transform your team. And, and we don't seem to want to do that. We seem to feel like we're trying, we're spreading ourselves too thin with our transfer budget. You know, 120 million. You could have gone and got two world-class players. And I believe that would have had more impact than going and getting, you know, a centre-back, a right-back, a left-back, a goalkeeper, a, a number 10. I, I genuinely do believe that. So I do think a new manager that comes in, if they were trying to take Arsenal to that next level would need to be able to break the bank and get a couple of players of that ilk because we're missing that spot. We've got players that will perform two out of six weeks, but they won't do it four out of six weeks. And that's where we're at. Tariq Talks, who's one of our brand new members, says, why is the lineup of the podcast stronger than the Arsenal first team? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. Uh, Owen Zamir says, what level to, uh, do you put on Mikel Arteta on? Is, uh, or rather, is he really on par with all the other managers that we've mentioned? Uh, is he better than any of those managers? Um, look, the one thing I'll give Mikel Arteta credit for is his ideology coming in this thing of culture. It it was quite good initially when he did first come in and there was a bit of resilience around the Arsenal camp for the first time in years. But you'd have to say in terms of um, producing a style and producing results and, and, and not only that, I think where he lacks in mostly is his adaptability, his, his willingness to change in the moment and make snappy decisions, which is something that's really needed in football. You know, some of the best managers in history, that's what they really shone at, was making quite good, uh, quick-thinking decisions during games, and he really struggles with that. So for me, this is going to maybe sound quite harsh. I think that Mikel Arteta would probably be that sort of mid-table championship-level manager team right now. That's not to say he's not a very, very good coach, but in terms of his day-to-day running, we're not talking about a coach anymore or a head coach. He's a manager. And if you're asking me how good of a manager he is, he's not a Premier League level manager for me just yet. That's not to say he won't be in the future, but right now, he sort of, I think he's proven himself to be slightly lacking in experience. Drew, Thibaut Pest says, is Willian the worst transfer in Arsenal's history? It's funny, you know, given given the, the course of his career, you would have hoped it would have worked out, but it's kind of hard to argue that it hasn't been. He's done absolutely nothing since he's been here, given the wages, given the fact that we literally kind of just did Chelsea a favor in a way, it's hard to argue. Like, <laughs> I, I would like, say... Did you see that he likes their posts? The I, I did see that, and yeah. I, I kind of just laughed because I'd rather just <laughs> laugh and be angry. So for me, I kind of feel like at the bare minimum, you have to say it's top three, top five, easily. At a push, you could probably argue it's... It's definitely up there. 
It's the case where I sat here in 2020 and was like, mm, I can really see a lot of, you know, I can see why we're doing this. <laughs> I, I can see why we're bringing Willie out. And I sat here so unashamedly confident that this was a Buddy, good I wrote, I wrote two articles about this. How do you think I feel? Documented in ink. So, yes, it's like. I'm on video. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. And you just have to, yeah, just move on. So bad. When you mentioned Jorginho earlier, I typed in, I was looking down some old videos and there's a video uh, of me being like, like really crazy criticizing the link to Jorginho and that's why I tweeted out the other day saying, <laughs> I, and I used the word we were so dismissive because I yeah. was so dismissive of it and I, I watched that video back going Jorginho are you mad <laughs> oh how things change um let's find another question uh Oliver says Harry uh to survive and thrive means to adapt this nation of having uh, this notion, sorry, of having a long-term manager can't cut it. Nowadays, max three years, the managers move on. Bring Conte, win the league, and let him leave. I agree with that, but it's only that approach is only sustainable. If well, success with that approach is only sustainable if you're going to keep throwing mega millions at the transfer window. Chelsea, City, they can do that. They can be ruthless and and kick somebody out because they'll know that they've got the funds to when the next manager comes in, to back him all over again, let him build his team, have a crack for a couple of years, and then they can do it again and again and again and again. But if you haven't got that money, if you can't spend and, and rebuild teams every two, three years, then you can't look at it that way. You know, you, you people would say, yeah, great, we won the league. We've we've Most of us have seen Arsenal win the league. But we're, we're moaning about how we've kind of declined after that. And you're going to have long periods of decline if you have that short-term view, as I say, unless you're going to spend fortunes season in, season out. And we're just not going to do it. Yeah, a good, uh, a really nice comment, actually, from Keith Field. He says, Thomas is a great show, as you know, and a regular of yours and Harry's show as well. And I'm really enjoying this show and the great guests. So as, as a fan... I could see a fix being Basuma, Max Aarons, Awa, and White. Um, of course, we've already got White in. If we were to sign Basuma, Aarons, and Awa, I mean, I'd, perf- I'd be over the moon if that was the end of our window. I mean, Basuma and Aarons, I'd be over the moon with at the end of the window. But uh, throw the Awa in there. <laughs> so what ends the window that would be? Uh, Owen Jashar says, the Xhaka renewal really complicates everything he is. He is not a DM. But while he's here, we won't sign a DM like a Basuma, which we really need to elevate the midfield engine room. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. And uh, before I go on to that, I find something really, really funny. If you ever wanted to see how how apparent it is, the cowardism of Arsenal Football Club, it's the fact that they still haven't announced that Granit Xhaka has signed that contract. Like, that is absolutely yeah. insane. Like, I, I love how they even know, you know, like there's three media guys, IT dudes sitting there being like, should we release this? No, no, They're I'm pulling like straws to who tweets it. That's what <laughs> yeah, they're doing. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But yeah, no... Look, and I think that you mentioned this. I think the big argument was is that Granit Xhaka isn't going to stay here and be a squad player. He'll want to be a mainstay. He signed the contract. It doesn't matter what happens now. Tell him whatever you need to tell him to get him to sign on the dotted line to keep uh, our reserves sort of well-stocked and, and then go out and get someone like a Yves Basuma, which I think is an absolute crime. I know we talk about, and, and Drew makes a really, really valid point of that there is more than just one player out there. But the fact that this is a player who has put himself out in Arsenal, Arsenal kit and Arsenal... Um, 
merchandise and he's liking Pepe's stuff. He's basically throwing himself at Arsenal Football Club and has quite a low valuation for a player of his quality. And Arsenal have failed to went and get the most gettable target, yet they went and spent weeks and weeks and weeks on Manuel Locatelli trying to convince a player who had no desire to come here whatsoever. I just don't understand some of the business decisions. And for me, while I agree with... Um, all, all the decisions in terms of Martin Udegaard coming in and Ben White is a very good sign and Nuno Tavares seems to be quite decent and Akonga looks absolutely brilliant. But for me, all that good work is reluctant and, and um, irrelevant if the, if the history repeats itself and we continue to be the nearly club in the transfer window. We always do quite well, but we never do really well. You know, we're always one or two signings away from a perfect window. And for me, for once in my life, I'd like to see them maybe turn around and just go and get a top quality right back and another decent athletic um, central midfielder. So I, I agree with both you and Harry, because Harry kicked off at the point of, you know, we've talked about for years about we're one or two signings away and those signings haven't materialized or it was only just one of them or half of one. So I do think that we are a, a big addition or two away from at least seeing progress. I don't think it's going to win us the league, but it would at least maybe cement our chances of finishing top six, which I think is to be the bare minimum goal. I don't think we're top four yet, but I think getting back into Europe is critically vital immediately. My issue is two things. Well, I think we all agree we need another midfielder. I think that's clear, uh, given the current scenario. And two, I think we all agree East Basuma is a really good player. My issue is I genuinely think, and I, I tried to give them too much credit, but... I genuinely think the club looked at the, the current state of the squad, who's leaving to go to AFCON, which is four players, and I think that's why they're not getting Basuma this, but has this it, summer. But, sorry to jump in. You can crack me here because maybe I'm wrong. I'm pretty You're wrong. Has Eve said, uh, yeah, I'm always wrong. <laughs> has Eve Basuma even featured for, is it Mali? Since he plays? 2018. So two months ago, I forget who posted it. It was either Wheatley or Ornstein that the Mali Football Federation was sitting down with Basuma and looking to get him back into the team, specifically starting for AFCON. And if that's been public, then I think that does play a thing. Because if you think about it, it's not just like, yeah, AFCON is what, four, six weeks you're missing, you're missing, you know, but it's not just the fact that you're missing four to six weeks. It's you're having five first team players gone for four to six weeks. It's the potential injury issues around those five to six players. It's the money spent on Basuma. And then it's also... We don't know what's going on with COVID. We've already seen that players go away for international duty and COVID becomes a problem while they're gone or when they come back. So I think the club doesn't want to make that investment this summer. If Basuma is available next summer, I would not be shocked if we bought him next summer. I think there's genuine interest from his camp. I think you could look at him and say, arguably you could argue that we're not going to be worse with him in the team, obviously. Um, but I think that could be the issue. And also, for better or worse, I, I just kind of feel like he's too similar to Partey and Makonga. You're going to have three midfield players that have very similar profile, none of which are really deeper creative players. And if you're looking at for what Arteta wants, you need a deeper creative player. If Arteta's not here... Look, in the wise words of Jeremy Clarkson, if you're ever in doubt, more power. Power yeah. for well. you English folks. <laughs> I mean, you're not necessarily wrong, but I just kind of feel like there's a lot of mitigating circumstances as to why... The club looked at it and didn't do a deal. I don't think anyone could say that you can't look at him and say he's a good player. But I feel like if a club doesn't move for a player, it doesn't mean the club thinks the player is poor. It could just mean that they don't want to. Risk management is, is, is a part of squad building. If you think the risk management of getting Basuma this summer is too great, they won't do it. It doesn't mean they don't think he's good. It just means that 
maybe they don't want to take another big risk. We're in a season where big risks could have really, really shitty consequences if things don't come off right. Considering we really need to be getting into Europe next season, if another season out of Europe, and I don't know what the hell's going to happen. So, yeah. Just, just one, one quick point on all that. I feel like with some of the players that we've currently got at the club, and this is why I'm a bit confused about this whole Basuma thing. With some of the players that we've got at the club, that you know, Aubameyang's a prime example of this of a player that when Mikel Arteta came in and was playing in a certain way, he was thriving, and then the kind of evolution of the side in terms of the way we play has led to a place where Aubameyang is not firing on all cylinders. Obviously, some of that is, is down to him as well. But I don't think we're getting the most out of him. But we've already committed to giving him that mega contract. And then talk, taking it back to the midfield, you're looking at Granit Xhaka, and I don't know what you guys think about this, but I feel like in the first two games of the season, he has been asked to press much higher up the pitch than he has done throughout last season when he was probably at his best in an Arsenal shirt. So surely if you've kept Granite Xhaka and you've given him that contract, then why would it now make sense to keep him in the team and play in a way that doesn't suit him? And I feel like we these are the kind of mistakes that are coming from inexperience where we're hanging our hats on players, but not taking into account the direction where we want the team to go. And the fact that that direction is the opposite direction to where that player mm. is. And this is one of the, the big problems that we've got right now. And Bissouma, I've I've never been one of these guys that's screaming from the rooftops for Bissouma every single week. I think he's a good player, but I, I don't get why Arsenal fans make him out to be Patrick Vieira. But it's just I just find it weird that we've stuck with Xhaka and now it feels like the remit for what our midfielder is supposed to do is different. And it's different in a way that doesn't suit Xhaka. And and it's just and it's happened with a few players now. It's baffling. I mean, yeah, I remember with Lucas Torreira and Unai Emery, where we just absolutely shoved him into like the number 10 role, practically, just the mismanagement of him. And the thing about Arteta is that I, I, I don't see the style. I don't know if the players understand the style. I, I understand the theory behind pushing up your deep players to try and win the ball as high up the pitch as possible to get an earlier turnover in play and to make a counter-attack more dangerous. But... Jacques is not going to give you that. Jacques' tackling stats aren't the best anyway. Like so. it's it's funny, isn't it? Because like we all thought of Granit Xhaka was away, and it's like <clears throat> you know, like when one of your best mates is going through like a breakup, and 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 you're telling your best oh, mate, we didn't really like her anyway. She was a bit of a melt, you know. I'm not too fond of her. <laughs> a and, bit of a and, melt. And, <laughs> and, I've never and, described and the, a friend's ex girlfriend <laughs> as a bit of a melt. No, but you're trying to help them, man. And then they get back together a week later, and you're like, oh no, Jesus, man, the stuff we said about it's like it's is really awkward now. And that's what we're like with Jack at the minute. We thought we were getting changed. We thought we were getting an upgrade, and now all of a sudden our best mates back with the axe, and we've said a bunch of horrible stuff and now we'll have to live with Grana Jacket for the next three years. I was like me when I went back on a Burkhart Wonderland after like three years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to, let's go like one more round uh, of questions. Who am I even at? I've lost count. Am I Owen? Are we at you, Owen? I think we might be. Uh, um, Fuaban says, don't you think Arteta has seriously devalued the squad? As Harry said, if we had got two good players and raised their value again to sell better. Um, yeah, slightly. Uh, I think that is the case. I think that Harry actually hit the nail on the head quite well earlier on. And it's that as much as 
or had it devalues a lot of our players. I think that our fan base massively overhype and and now take take this with a, a pinch of salt. I really, uh, I, I'm not going in on any players in particular. But when you look at the statistical output of a player like Emil Smithrow or the statistical output of a player like Mikai Osaka or Balogun or Martinelli or whoever it is, they're nowhere near the level of those you know good to top level performers in the Premier League and and and, and what I think I do to a certain extent agree that stats aren't everything but you can't have 11 of those guys in your team you can have one or two you know that dictate tempo or or that bring something different like a Jordan Henderson for example maybe not the biggest statistical output you'll ever see but dictates the game quite well but when we're talking about the devaluing of the squad I think that the treatment of some players um, will have devalued them like someone like for example Cedric you know that can't be good although he's a quite an unvaluable asset as it is him being thrown in and out of the team consistently for for big patches and small patches it doesn't do well for raising its financial value I also think as well that is quite like Eddie and Kadia too I think that if the club were looking to sell him he was performing quite well in pre-season maybe they should have given him a chance at the start of the season with a bigger stage um so I think the club overall, as we've mentioned unanimously, I think we can all agree that Arsenal as a football club are relatively poor in conducting their business. Even now, whilst we have improved in comparison to some of the other teams like Leicester or Villa or Liverpool or anybody else, we're still relatively poor when it comes to conducting our business. Uh, Balaji says, Drew, with Willian, I'm not asking a Willian question earlier on, but it's different. Why do you, th- do you think rather with kind of a wide player going, this means that Arsenal could dip into the window for a wide player either now or January? Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I think it's clear that Nelson's future at the club is, is in question at minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we should be using Oba on the wing. So that kind of just relegates him to one of the three center forwards. So you could argue, or if we do, we might even just sell one or both of our lack of depending. But yeah, I think we, I, I would be shocked if we don't go for a winger, but if, who, who knows? You know what I mean? But I feel like we have more pressing concerns, you know, in, in the season where we don't have to constantly rotate, um, mm. we don't have to go for a winger. This, I, I think we should go for one maybe next summer. But th- I think I think we all agree right back in center mid needs to happen for the window shots. I'd be fine if we don't buy a winger. Personally, I don't think it's it's, it's dire need, but um, I do think it'd be a bigger need next summer. So, Fair play. Uh, and I think that is probably where we're going to rest our hats uh, on the evening. I've never said that phrase before in my life. I don't know where that <laughs> came from. <laughs> it sounded cool. Um, I'd like to thank my fantastic panel. If you could chat box, show them a lot of love um, for their efforts this evening. First of all, Drew, you've made it. You did it. Uh, nearly 90 minutes and uh, not a single swear word this evening, which is great. Don't break that now. <laughs> I, I was going to do it, so now I won't. I know. But, <laughs> but yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to, to be on you boys as always. And the chat box, thank you for the support as usual. Could I get your prediction for West Brom, please? Three mm. one, mm, I would say. Yeah, I'll go three one. To, to us, uh, yeah, to, to us, to us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, thank you so much, mate, for coming. I really appreciate your time. And could I get a prediction too, please? Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Um, prediction two one. I think we'll win two one. Um, Martinelli will score. Is he 
injured. No, he's. Uh, he, he came off a cramp. I think he'll be. Yeah, fine. he'll be fine. Yeah, he'll score. <laughs> he'll get the magic water spray, and you know, straight That's back. It. Yeah. Harry, absolute pleasure having you on the show, mate. Uh, hopefully, you won't leave it too long again this time, and uh, give me a prediction for for Wednesday. Thanks for having me, man. Um, prediction for Wednesday. Is it bad that I think we might lose? <laughs> I mean, it's not out there, is it? <laughs> You're arguably like... being a bit of a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like under the lights at the Hawthorns. I don't know. It, it could be difficult. It could be difficult. Um, I'm going to go for uh, West Brom to beat us 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I'm going to go for a 2-2 draw and we'll win on pens. <laughs> That's, what, uh, That's just as bad as Harry's prediction, really. Like, we should be winning full, by full time, Mike. I know. I was considering doing a watch-along as well. And I was like, do we want to no. sit through that? <laughs> <laughs> the one game I'm not working uh, for the game. And I'm like, yeah, do I do a watch-along? Do I want to watch just lose on penalties to West Brom? That might be one. <laughs> Uh, but thank you, Chatbox, uh, for coming in this evening. Really appreciate you tuning in whilst Leicester are getting absolutely ruined uh, after their red card. 2-0 down to yep. West Ham at the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you for tuning in. Please do drop a like on the video and subscribe. You can follow Harry on Twitter at Harry Simeon. You can find Owen at Owen Young AFC. And you can find Drew somewhere else. Uh, no, you can find him at Logic Lara on Twitter as well. And you can follow us at The Good Talk TV or at Tom Cantor Media to find myself and check out some of the good stuff that's been going on at Football London. You can find Harry's stuff at 90 Min, Drew's stuff with Yammer, I'm sure, and Owen stuff on some podcast with a guy called Mike who thinks he could run the show better than me. So uh, we will see you very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.